Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the medical director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. Today's conversation highlights the experience of a primary care pediatrician and Eatable Alphabet grantee, Dr. Tressa Gambon. She shares her passion for obesity prevention and how she's trying to change the way she talks to families about food. Stay tuned to hear our conversation. Welcome to our podcast. And today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Dr. Tressa Gambon, who's vice president of the AP Florida chapter and a primary care pediatrician in Hialeah. But importantly for us today, Tressa has been using the Eatable Alphabet in her practice. And we're going to explore some of how she's been using the Eatable Alphabet, tell you a little bit about what the Eatable Alphabet is, and just get Tressa's frontline experience on her effort to help her patients with obesity prevention and treatment. So welcome, Tressa, to our podcast. Thank you, Sandy. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get interested in uh, because the Eatable Alphabet is a series of cards that helps children develop nutritional literacy. They're for very young children and their families to, to work at together. We'll give you the resources at the end. How did, what interested you about the Eatable Alphabet? How did, you, how did that attract your attention and, and how are you using it? Well, I saw an email um, describing what it was that had a little bit of a show and tell in that email or the link. And I thought it would be interesting. Um, first time I saw it was in 2020 when we were in lockdown. And um, I said, this would be something interesting and something different to request for our families. So I applied uh, and received it. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for the families that were home where parents were often working from home and the kids were schooling at home and the younger kids were not in daycare because everything was locked down but something that people could do while they were in their house and at the same time be instructional, um, showing off pictures of different fruits, vegetables, and healthy foods in English with the words also in Spanish with little exercises or little things to do with them. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to discuss nutrition in a different way with our families and also to discuss really the relationship and interaction that's so important between parents and their kids and during a very stressful time. So I, I love that you picked it up and really looked at it from several points of view, the nutritional literacy and education, the relationship with the uh, patients and their families, the little children and their families, and also something to maybe relieve stress in a way um, during, during the COVID time. How has it play, played out for you? Have you had any feedback from your uh, patients and your little kids and their families about how they've liked this? Well, when we first give it to them and uh, it's, it's kind of taped up and locked up and the kids immediately try to rip it open, it's not that easy to open. So we open it <laughs> for them and the kids start looking at the cards and showing the cards to their parents and they get excited. So on follow-up, I've talked to several families afterwards, and they did do some of the little suggestions and menu preparation suggestions with their kids. And um, it was fun. A, a few of them have sent me videos that I can't share, but you know, personal videos where 
they're playing with their kids, but with the foods and the healthy foods and, and laying it all out on the kitchen counter. So they've enjoyed using it. And I'm assuming that when they were describing that, they were smiling when they were telling you about it. Yes. And um, so when you think about nutrition in these younger children and, and, you know, our toddlers and our preschoolers, what, what are some of your concerns here that you, you're trying to get at um, when you're talking about nutrition and trying to help your families? Well, I work in Hialeah, which is a predominantly Hispanic population. And there's a lot of Latinos, lots of different countries, but we know Miami also has a lot of Cubans. Um, the diet tends to be heavy in carbohydrates, rice, and malanga, which is kind of like a potato, root vegetables and meats and beans, but not as much incorporating vegetables and fruits. There are fruits that they, they eat more commonly, bananas, but I wanted to really show them there are other things and different things that can be incorporated in the diet. Funnily, the first card that comes out is avocado, which is aguacate, which the Latino population is very familiar with. But I think it just allows us to really talk about different things and a variety of foods and a variety of different snacks that the kids can have that aren't, you know, potato chips. It's, a, it's an opportunity to discuss things. So I like that. And I incorporate the cards and we do open them up during the visit and look at mm -hmm. a couple of them. And the kids love it. And the parents are like, oh, okay, this is a good idea. So we enjoy it. So when you're working with, with your families and you're working with, a, a say, a traditional diet or maybe a diet that they've adopted in, in this country, how do you play off, like, how do you um, counsel them in terms of, you, you know, they have their traditions and they have the foods that they love, and yet maybe there's opportunities for them to expand their repertoire. How do you start that conversation with them without making them think that, oh, you're, you're kind of negative on their traditional foods? Well, I'm not negative on their traditional foods. I think no. that that's completely fine. Um, but I try to talk to them about incorporating or adjusting a little bit, um, trying to you know, expand and not just have rice, beans, and meat, but have tomatoes on the side or the avocado or different vegetables and incorporate that. Uh, also discuss with them, which I don't think this is more of the traditional, but maybe more American, is the snacks. Um, mm -hmm. Really talking about different kinds of healthier snacks and having more fruits at snacks and not just the little packets of the cookies or the little packets of chips mm -hmm. that you can see in abundance these days in stores. So I reinforce their traditional meals. And I know, of course, on Noche Buena, there's going to be pork and rice and beans because that's what we do on, right. well, not Hispanic, but that's very common on uh, New Year's Eve. So I just try to add to it and make suggestions and discuss not eating the same foods every day and expanding the children's horizons and their diets and along with the parents. Now, I think that's very important. And uh, I wasn't implying that you were negative on the diet, but people worry about actually how to start that conversation because people worry, you know, we get the, the, the uh, question, like how do I start the conversation with folks without them? you make sure they know I'm not negative on their diet, but I'm trying. And I love, I love what you said about trying to not eat the same food every day, trying to expand your horizons, trying to move it out. Are, are they, uh, have you found patients are willing to do that for the whole family or do they just key in to their kids or how, how have you found that play out? Well, it plays out different ways in different families. Um, 
some pa parents are just exhausted and they're tired. So it's very hard to talk about preparation and food preparation when it's easier to drive through something. So um, we try it every time, I try it every well child visit and even visits in between if it's pertinent to what we're seeing or what's going on or parents express concern to discuss about health. I don't, I don't like to use the word diet, diet all the time because they always think that means food restriction and losing weight. Mm -hmm. So eating healthy food, incorporating healthy foods, doing a variety and of course, reinforcing physical exercise. Um, I don't have a problem starting the conversation because we ask about everything. You know, I ask about school, I ask about food, I ask for breakfast, I ask about using the bathroom, I ask about toothbrush. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just part of a conversation that I feel is back and forth. And as parents bring up stuff, try to give guidance and not wait for the end of a visit to give a whole long list of instructions and this is what you need to do. Um, I also think it's really important um, to compliment the parents when they're trying, whether they're succeeding mm -hmm. or not seeding, um, and to, you know, give them a break when they're having a rough time and discuss, yeah, so every now and then there is going to be a McDonald's or pizza run, but it's, you know, let's try and not do that all the time. Let's try and do some other things or have some healthier options when the kids are home or when you pick the kids up from school instead of doing a drive through now, you did mention, you know, that, that the families often turn to fast food or processed food because it's convenient and it's available. What, what kinds of, um, what are you seeing in, in the environment around your practice? Is it hard to get healthy food? Is it, how is it, how is it for your patients? Well, it's not hard to get healthy food, but it is very easy to walk into the supermarket and the the smaller markets, I'm not talking about the big chains, the smaller markets have like a great vegetable, I love the vegetable section um, and fruits, but the majority of the store is not that. The majority of the store is canned foods mm -hmm. and rice and mm -hmm. other things. Um, so it is available. Now, a lot of those stores are smaller, so it's not a huge variety that's available of products, mm -hmm. um, but it is available there. So. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I lost my train of thought. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot where I was going with no, that. No, no, that's all right because you start. I, I can see when you start thinking about the supermarkets or the grocery stores or the corner stores, you start imagining. I in one of my lectures, I have a picture of a a store that's attached to like a gas station, and there's not one fresh thing in that store. And when I start thinking of my patients going into the market, I I start thinking that it's a, it's an it's a, it's availability it's cost it's time to prepare it's knowledge about how to prepare food it's acceptability will the children accept the food that i've labored over to prepare or will they just want you know the fast food which is easier so i i really feel for our our families because i think they are up against a lot of barriers here when they try to shift their diet to a healthier diet and um you know, we had a, a, a cooking class that I ran out of my clinic at one point when I realized that the, the pay, these were for adolescents, that they didn't know how to cook, and their parents were unfamiliar with a lot of cooking techniques. And so when we were trying to get them to eat healthier, it was difficult because they, they weren't familiar with how to prepare the food. And I've had patients where time is so crucial that the time that takes to prepare food is just time they feel they don't have. So um, how do you help 
people who are facing kind of multiple barriers in, in doing this? Where do you start? Do you start with a little thing and change that? Or how do you start when, when it looks like there's a lot of barriers to doing this? I try to discuss different things that could hopefully be feasible to see if I can have parents and kids, well, the older kids, agree to one thing that they can change or the younger mm -hmm. kids. Um, from the time the babies are small, and I mean, they're little babies, I tell the parents, mm -hmm. you know, you should be talking to them while you're cooking in the kitchen and while you're chopping the vegetables or taking stuff out, talk to your kids, look at them every now and then when they're, you know, and instead of putting on the TV, put on some music mm -hmm. and have a conversation starting from infants, I'm telling them that. And as the kids get older, I talk to them about having the, you know, toddlers in the kitchen next to you, give them something to do with you, work with them on that in a safe space. Uh, and as the kids get older, I talk a lot about cooking with the kids when available. Now, a lot of times parents are working by the time you get the kids aftercare, it's late. So we discuss, well, maybe this is something you could do on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I always try to reinforce as much as I can trying to have the kids have dinner with the parents most nights a week. The younger kids, the kids, the, not the teenagers who are out with their friends, but the younger kids, most mm -hmm. nights a week. Yeah. Whatever it is you're eating, hopefully you're eating something healthier and something that's a better choice, but to have that time as a family time together. So, and I try to make, I also speak to, I speak to a lot of parents too. The parents, the kids refuse to eat anything that the parents want them to eat. And the kids only want to eat Oreo cookies or, you know, potato chips or whatever. Or, and I'm like, okay, that's not the best idea. They should be eating what you're eating. Why don't you try to sit down in a meal and eat the same foods? If they're not going to eat what you're eating, because maybe they don't like the types of beans you made today, try and give them a different option, but something that's not potato chips, ice cream, or, you know, something a little bit healthier. Very much in the Latino culture, they always think that the children are never eating enough. So they're always yeah. starving. They don't want anything to eat. They won't eat anything I make. And But I always like, but will they eat French fries? I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. okay, they'll eat French fries. Then we know that they don't have a problem eating. They just need to be exposed. They need to mm -hmm. have in front of them. I Potato chips, I'm always like, if the kids can chew potato chips, they can chew. It's not a chewing problem. But I also right. explain to them growth spurts. You know, there's times where kids are going to eat more and times where they're going to eat less. And I say, if they're only going to eat a little bit, let's try and make that little bit something a little bit healthier. So what I love so much about what you said is the participatory nature of food and cooking and eating. And I think that we kind of know that instinctively that eating should be or could be social. And But in the busyness of life, you know, it, family meals get disaggregated and people are eating in different spaces and places and at different times and uh, children are, as you said, watching TV while the mother, while mom or dad are cooking. And so trying to, to uh, re-ground uh, cooking and eating as a participatory activity, I think is so important because modeling is so important. And, you know, I, I think those kinds of strategies, um, asking a family to have a family meal. You know, you're ambitious. You say most nights. I Some of my families, I would say, could you eat together one night a week? You know, because, they, but, but I think that starting with those kinds of strategies, which are both social and nutritional are so important because then 
the benefit of being together starts to come out. You know, they can enjoy their, their children and they can maybe enjoy the participation. So I think that participatory nature, and I think that's where the eatable alphabet cards kind of help you there too, because they encourage that participation with the parent and the child. So um, when you have, uh, often families have more than one child and children have different eating styles and children have different growth curves. How are you, how do you deal with the fact that maybe one child, the mother really is concerned that they're not eating enough and, you know, they're, they're, they're and another child, the parent may be concerned about their, their BMI. How do you deal with that? Multiple children with different styles and growth curves in the same family. Well, it's interesting because I do have several families where the parents like this child doesn't eat anything and he's super skinny and this one's super overweight, but the one who's overweight has better labs and is more active and is playing sports and the skinny one is eating potato chips and sitting on the video games. So it's not one for all. Every kid's mm -hmm. different. Um, all the children are different. And I try to talk to the parents about what, uh, to me, I'm always about a conversation. I can't just tell you what to do. You have to tell me what you can do. I give you suggestions and we got to work back and forth. If you're not willing to work back and forth, I can give you some suggestions, think about it. And when you come back, we'll discuss it a little more because it's not an easy thing, especially if the mom is working, the father's working, you know, grandma's taking care of the kids. Grandma's older. She can't move around much. She's just going to give them whatever is there and let them watch TV until mom gets home from work. There's a lot of situations. And each one, I think, has to kind of be individualized. And the kids are all different. So I try to talk to them and see what they can do and try to make small changes. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. you're not going to make a whole huge change in a day. But one thing I do talk to the parents a lot about, because, of course, the mom always blames the dad if the dad's not there. Or the dad blames the mom if the mom's not there. <laughs> or they blame grandma because grandma's not there or, or grandpa. And he, grandpa's the one who always brings all the cookies in the house. And I talked to them. I said, it's very hard. Children don't know a lot about restraint. Most adults don't know a lot about restraint um, <laughs> in terms of diet. And if stuff is in front of you, you're going to want it. So if you're going to buy soda, don't buy five two liters. Buy one for the week, and when it's gone, try and drink other stuff. And try and learn a little bit of limits, because it's not just for the kid, it's for the whole family. No, I, I often, I so like what you said, because I would often say to the parent, well, how many decisions do you really want to make in a day? So if you have a, a cabinet stocked with snacks and a fridge stocked with sugar beverages, then every time the kid passes it, they're going to want something. And you have to, you have to make a decision Yes, I'm going to give it to the kid, or no, I'm not, a hundred times a day. Or you cannot have it in the house or have it in a limited amount. And that keeps you from having to make hundreds of decisions a day. If it's not there, it's not going to be asked about. So I think the idea of just trying to, to, to make the environment, at least in the house, as nutritionally healthy as we can, because we know as soon as the kid steps outside, it, there's food everywhere and, you know, you can buy a candy bar at a hardware store and, you know, it's, it's just everywhere. So to make the, the house as, as healthy as we can is, is really important. Do you find any pushback with parents? I mean, you're, you're, you're clearly, 
love your patients and are conversing with them. Uh, do you find any pushback from uh, families when you start this nutritional conversation? Families seem pretty open to you, or, or uh, oh. how does that go? I think um, both ways. You know, I mean, there are some mm -hmm. parents that are just completely overwhelmed. There are some mm -hmm. parents that are like, I can't control the kids. They do whatever they want. Um, mm -hmm. Because some of the parents are overwhelmed. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, and some of the parents just don't have the time or don't have the energy. Um, I'm not going to say they don't have the will. Many of them, are, of course, they want their kids to be healthy. Um, and they want their kids to do well. But they don't, they don't lay down as many rules as they sh should, not only in terms of eating, but in terms of everything else. But the majority of parents are pretty receptive to different ideas. Um, I worry about sometimes the parents, you know, you give them advice and they turn to the kid and they say, did you hear that? The doctor says, this is what you got to do and that's it. And I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> that's not the best way to, you know, we are deciding together. And as the kids get older, we start, you know, Trying to, I try to incorporate the kids. Even when the kids are little, I try to incorporate the kids. Do you like bananas? I love bananas. Okay, eat more bananas. You know, so yeah. it, there's always a lot of the parent telling me, I have all the fruit and they never touch it. And the kid's going, I eat apples every day. So just trying to get the right. conversation. I mean, I'm there to try and give advice. I'm not there to, you know, snap the whip and, you know, yell at parents. Um, I do, as the kids get older, if the, you know, obesity is getting very out of control, the kids are just on games all day, or they're just eating potato chips all day long and ice cream. I mean, I try to get, a, I do get a little stricter on some of them because I start talking about things that can happen. And then when the labs start coming back abnormal, if we do labs, and they start coming back with mm -hmm. high liver function tests because they're getting fatty liver at eight. Um, mm -hmm high cholesterol at five, then mm -hmm. the parents, when they see the numbers, a lot of times get a little bit more concerned because they're like, oh, wait, no, grandma has that and grandma takes all kinds of pills. And is mm -hmm. my baby going to have to take pills? Well, you know, yeah. try not to scare them, but they, they need to know there's some consequences to this. Right. Well, something you said I really resonated with is a non-judgmental attitude. And I remember very clearly um, having a, a mom come to clinic and she was an older boy. And, you know, and at some point in the visit, I just offhandedly said, you know, I'll never judge you. And she burst into tears. And she said, I have felt judged every time I've, I've taken him to, to a doctor because of his weight. So I think that non-judgmental attitude while you're trying to engage the family in their own desire to have a healthy children and their own capability of having change. It, it brings me to some other things that I often felt that I was helping parents with parenting 80% of the time, you know, that, that getting into routines or talking about, you know, uh, how to parent in a way that, that you, like you said, that you communicated with the child, but you set boundaries, that parenting was such a big part of what, what we did. Do you find that too, that you're, you're always sort of trying to help with, with the parenting aspects of this? Yes, I do. I mean, I, I have a whole spiel about, because the degeneration of family, because, you know, a lot of my patients come from countries and areas where, you know, they have 
10 to 20 relatives living within two miles. And then you come to America and everybody's all spread out and grandma's, you know, in a different country and your sister's in a different state. And, and so now it's, it's you raising your kids, maybe two people with you helping you adults. So I have a whole spiel about how if people really were all closer, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and families mm -hmm. need support. Um, so I try to, you know, work with them and, and, and participate with them and help them and give them guidance as much as possible. Give them good websites <laughs> to look up information because we know on the internet, you can find a lot of disinformation. So I promote the healthychildren.org, which is the AAP site, the American Academy of Peds site that gives a lot of good information. You know, it's the parent area. Um, not geared for the providers, but for the parents or some other good websites so that they can get some information. Um, you know, and if we have a lot of problems, I work in a company that is really a behavioral health company that added on primary care. The primary care is like booming now. We have a lot of pediatrics. Mm -hmm. So we also have a lot of availability for psychology, for parent-child interaction therapy as needed if we see things that need to be addressed and to help the parents. And we also have, of course, parenting classes, so. Boy, what a benefit for you to have that kind of resource um, available for you and your patients. That's terrific. I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, you're mentioning the, the laboratory, you know, liver disease and cholesterol in very young children. Have you been surprised at how young these labs are coming back uh, abnormal? Absolutely. I mean, I've been doing pediatrics for over 25 years and I sit down sometimes and I think, did I just not do all of this lab work in the past? Um, but I mean, the obesity crisis is, is huge. I mean, it, this is way different than what it was, you know, even 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the smartphones and the kids that can actually sit, even young kids sit with a phone or a tablet for two or three hours without moving is, is just, it shocks me that kids can do that. Um, and that they're doing it and a lot of the parents don't think it's abnormal because they think it's so awesome the kids can use a computer or what. So I do talk about that also a lot because I really promote, even if it's not physical activity, outdoors running, not being sitting, looking at a, at a device. Mm -hmm. um, the numbers that I'm seeing now uh, of the elevated high fatty liver, I mean, like I never even heard of that in a kid, you know, except for some kids. Um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And so it's really scary to me as to how this is gonna be in the future. You know, the high cholesterol, yeah. high triglycerides, right. uh, it's just really scary to me. You know, it worries right. me a lot for the future for, for the kids and their families. And and I'm hoping that some, I know that I, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the one-on-one -on -one interaction, but I do also think that you know, there needs to be a, a public health drive, which I know is happening to, you know, a certain extent, but everybody needs to be involved in making these changes, including the, the food chains and the food suppliers. I know some of the restaurants and fast food restaurants have started making changes, incorporating healthier foods and healthier options, decreasing, you know, all these extra things that are going into the foods that some of which carry calories and are just fillers but I do think there needs to be an overall change in some of the food supply and production in order to assist because one-on-one on a continuous basis all the time, 
it's not going to be the only move. It's part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to take yeah. everybody to make these changes. I read two articles that I think changed my mind a little bit. One was about the food processing and how the one-on-one -on -one conversation is never going to win in this world because there's mm -hmm. just so much more that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. That's not just the one-on-one. -on -one. And the other one was about, uh, it, was a, it was a parent who wrote about how every time they go to the doctor, the doctor tells them everything they do wrong with their child. Right. And I was like, wow, is this really what it sounds like to them? Okay. Yeah. I want Not that I felt like I did that all the time, but you know what? They're right. We do tell them what they're doing wrong. So <laughs> in right. trying to educate, right. so I've just kind of changed the way I speak with patients. Plus, right. I mean, now I've worked in this behavioral health company 10 years. So the, it's always a lot about interactions and, and, you know, we get training with the psychologists on a monthly basis on different things. So I think I've melded yeah. and mellowed. <laughs> well, you know, Tressa, that's really, I think where I got my start in advocacy was realizing that, that if there are, you need to step outside your office and really become an advocate um, because the environment is so obesogenic is so uh, obesity promoting that um, you're basically teaching the family how to survive an adverse environment. And unless the environment changes, it's just, uh, like you said, it's a constant battle for the families to, to really remain healthy in this environment. Well, I, I want, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to thank you so much for sharing your time and experience with us. Is there anything else that, that maybe we didn't get to that you'd like to share with our audience today? Um. No, I don't think so. I think we covered everything. I mean, this is great. It's been a great addition to our clinic to give out the cards and to talk about the kids and something something different, a different way to communicate with the families. And especially during COVID, I'm grateful that we've been able to get these these packs that are, are they're fun. They're fun to talk about with the parents yeah. instead of just talking about COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and you know, which I we think also that... talk about. <laughs> Right. But, you know, and I think that, you know, the, the beauty of being a pediatrician is the children and the, the, the fact that we want to have fun with our kids. We want to see those smiles in clinic. We want to see families light up when they talk to each other. I mean, that's such an important part of what sort of feeds my soul and feeds all of our souls. And I think anything we can do to, to sort of see that positive interaction is worthwhile. So, Again, Tressa, thank you so much for being with us today, and we really appreciate you being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Dr. Gambon. I hope you were able to also think about the small ways you can change the way you talk to families about health and weight concerns. In addition to using fun tools like Eatable Alphabet, these professional education resources might also be helpful the early feeding module on healthy snacks, Right Futures Nutrition, Third Edition and Pocket Guide, the Conversations About Care podcast, Episode 5, Cultural Considerations for Obesity Care, the Chop Chop Quick Bites poster, and the Chop Chop Finger Foods poster. Thank you for listening today. information.
information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.